Exodus 19. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the, the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will give my kingdom of priests my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up uh, on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day, and until then, abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. Thank you, Kevin, for that reading. Appreciate that. My name is Aaron Kiefer. I'm one of the elders here at Northwest Community Church. 
and I'm excited to speak to you all today. It's my first time giving a sermon, and I wanted to tell you how it all came about. I was texting with Ryan Simchenko. This is back in late May. He says, will you be in town on July 4th? <laughs> yes. Are you open to preaching? Let me talk to my wife. I said, yes. He says, great, let's get together sometime and talk about it. Okay. The next text. Your text will be Exodus 19. <laughs> Go ahead and start studying the passage. And then a day goes by and he says, or would you prefer I could do that and you can do something else? So I told Ryan I would try Exodus chapter 19 and hopefully... Some of the things I say today will be edifying and encouraging, and um, some of the stuff that I say might even stick. That's what Tom Croft said, make sure you say something that sticks. And so in the power of the Spirit, I'll try to do that. And in my weakness, his power will be made, made evident. So Ryan examined some covenants last week. He talked briefly about the covenants made by the Lord with Adam and Eve. He touched on... Abraham and how the Lord had promised to make him a great nation. He also mentioned the Davidic covenant in Samuel to King David, and then finally Christ as the new covenant. He just so happened to have skipped over Exodus 19 to leave that for me. The Mosaic covenant, I titled today's sermon, The Lord Meets His People. And my hope today is to give you a bird's eye view. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount in this text, and uh, we don't have the time, and I'm not equipped to handle all of it, but my goal is to, to say a couple of things that when you think of Exodus chapter 19, you say, aha, I remember one or two key ideas the Lord would want us to learn, want us to understand. So the setting of Exodus 19, obviously 1 to 18 is an action movie. The burning bush, the magicians, the plagues, the escape, the rescue, the daily bread, the victory in battle, all that happened in the first 18 chapters, the exit. And when I think of Exodus, I think of the first 18 chapters. But as Ryan pointed out, the Lord tells us sometimes what's important by the amount of scripture, the amount of text spent in a certain area or a certain time. And so the rest of Exodus and then the next 57 chapters, um, in fact, are spent at Mount Sinai in that year, where there's a covenant, there's commandments, and there's, there's a discussion of the tabernacle and the Lord dwelling. So that's what we're touching on today. That's what's happening in Exodus chapter 19. And so the way I want to break it down, I'm going to make a couple of introductory comments about some ideas, and then I'm going to focus on what I call the heart of the chapter, and then we'll try to apply it um, with some some thoughts about July 4th, Cary, North Carolina, 2021. And so, introductory comments, this is a fulfillment of prophecy, as we heard from Exodus chapter 3, where the Lord says, you will worship me on this mountain, Moses, the same mountain where I came to you in a burning bush. You will be here with your people. And so here we are on that same mountain. And I want to start looking at verse number 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. 
Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. So I want to point out that the Lord brought the Israelites to himself for fellowship. He didn't say, I brought you out of slavery for freedom. He said, I brought you to myself. So the rescue here in Exodus 1 to 18, that's a means to an end. It's a first act. The Lord is consistent. He's consistent in such a way that he brought those Israelites out of bondage in the same way his spirit brings us out of bondage for fellowship with him. And so the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And this Mosaic covenant is called a conditional covenant. And there are some conditions here, but I want to point out to you that he doesn't say, the Lord does not mention obedience in verse number four. The salvation, the rescue, that was unconditional. It wasn't earned. The Israelites had not done anything particularly to, to win God's favor. They hadn't been obedient. The Lord heard them. And in his grace and his mercy, he rescued them. In the New Testament, Paul says this in Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so again, you see the parallel between the Lord's character here in Exodus and how he treats his people and how he treats us, saving us by grace. So the Lord is consistent. Now let's talk about the conditions. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, Israel, you will be my own special treasure from among all peoples on earth. So these blessings the Lord is promising the nation of Israel, they're going to be as a result of the response, the appropriate response to what the Lord has already done for them. Or, as we'll be seeing in some coming chapters, they might be drinking the powdered calf, depending on how they respond. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So our re obedience is a response. It's a response to God's love. And just like the, the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, we are prone to idolatry, and there are consequences for that. So the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. So I've touched on a few verses, and now I want to just ask, when you read this chapter, there's a lot happening, but what, what is the crux? What's the climax in Exodus 19? And in my opinion, I'm going to read it again for you. The crux of the chapter. Moses led them out from the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. So the Lord has come down for the first time since the garden to meet his people. 
To understand what's going on in Exodus 19, I want to spend maybe five minutes just understanding a little bit more about the Lord and his greatness. Isaiah 6.2 says this. This is Isaiah's vision. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were the mighty seraphim, each having wings. With two they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The Lord is too holy to look upon. Even the seraphim have to cover their faces. And then I love the book of Job, the dialogue that Job has with the Lord. When Job questions the Lord in chapter 38 of Job, the Lord says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the survey line? The Lord is so great. He spoke the world into existence. Thanks, Laird. And then we have the people, the people of Israel who are like us. These people have been led miraculously from, from Egypt. But after the Lord's plagues and the, the exit, they come to the Red Sea in chapter 14. They say to Moses, what have you done to us, Moses? It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. After walking through the Red Sea on dry land, and the Lord is feeding them. He's feeding them manna in the mornings. These people decide, well, a little manna must be good, so more must be better. We're going to gather extra because we're not sure of the Lord's provision. Chapter 17, the Israelites gathered extra manna and kept it until next morning. And Ryan just taught on that. We know what happened. So the Israelites are a foolish people. There are people who have trouble trusting. And then in 18, the prior chapter, Moses sits all day listening to quarrels and disputes. Foolish, skeptical, quarrelsome. We're no better. We're no better. So we have the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence. And we have these people who are trying to gather extra manna. These people are incompatible in some ways, in many ways, just like we are with the Lord of the universe. Incompatible is so opposed in nature as to be incapable of existing together. I'm going to say, in this passage, we should say, should be incapable of existing together. Because the Lord's not surprised by Israel. In verse number three, he says to Moses, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. Who's Jacob? You know Jacob. He's that deceiver. He lied about who he was. He stole the birthright. He's a scoundrel in some ways, but the Lord chose him. And so the Lord has chosen Israel, and in his great mercy, He's preparing these people. He's going to protect them because he's coming down to them. 
So I've listed out five ways in this chapter that the Lord and his great mercy protects his people. I wanted to run through those and offer a few comments, and then we'll summarize and apply this to our lives. But first of all, I want you to go to the text, first of all, in verse 12. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. And then in verse 21, the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Again in 24, he warns them, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach. The Lord or he will break out and destroy them. Nothing on earth compares to the Lord's power. There's no good way to describe him, but I want to take two minutes to tell you a story about power. Back in 2012, when Casey and I had first moved into our home in Morrisville, I was coming home from work, and the sky was this dark, dark purple color. It wasn't raining. I got home, and we were in the sunroom in the back of our house, and there was this blinding flash of light and a crack at the exact same moment. So lightning had struck. It had struck our neighbor's house, and we were standing there collecting ourselves, and there was a pounding on our front door. It was our neighbor, Ted, who's super calm calmest guy you'll ever meet. He was not calm at that moment because his house was on fire. So he ran over there and couldn't do much about it. The fire department came, and unfortunately, his house burned down. Everyone was safe. No one was injured. But that lightning strike got me thinking because our house was saved. In fact, the fire department hosed our house down for hours to keep it from melting from the fire next door as they fought that fire. But we had some collateral damage for being so close to that power. We didn't realize that we were, we were young. We didn't know to make an insurance claim. So over the next probably six weeks, the TV went out, DVD player, dishwasher, cable box, Wi-Fi router, and refrigerator. They were just too close to that power. They weren't struck directly. But that momentary blinding power, just like the Lord, was too great. It was too much. In the same way, the Lord is too great for these people, and he's too great for us. The second way the Lord protects and prepares his people, he teaches preparation. In verse 10, go down and prepare the people, Moses, for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. And then in verse 15, abstain from having sexual intercourse. Get ready for the third day. And then verse 22, even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves. So the Lord knows our minds. He knows our needs. He knows that our hearts are prone towards idolatry. He says, before you come to me, Israel, prepare yourself. Be ready. In the same way, we need to be ready to come to the Lord. The third thing, the Lord hides himself in a cloud. Verse 9, 
the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Later in Exodus, Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to put you in the cleft. I'm going to cover you with my hand. You can't look at my face. In the same way, the Lord protects his people. He knows that he's too great, so he uses a cloud. One of my favorite applications is the fourth one. The Lord uses Moses as his intermediary or his mediator. If you read through all of 19 like Kevin did, Moses makes three round trips in this chapter. And Moses is about 100 years old. So he's a stud to make three round trips. Sinai, I looked it up, is about 7,000 feet. And so that's a day's hike up and down. The round trips, verse 3, he climbs the mountain to appear. Verse 7, he returns. Verse 8, he goes back up to the Lord. Then comes back down in verse 14. The Lord calls Moses to the top at 20, and then the chapter wraps up. Moses returns to the people in 21. So Moses is the mediator for Israel. He does a great job, but he's not Jesus Christ. We have the perfect mediator who replaces Moses. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Amen. Okay. Final point, the Lord brings this covenant. And this is not just for coming down upon the mountain, but this is for the Israelites to have a healthy relationship with him moving forward as he's going to come and tabernacle with them. He's going to live there. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. These are ground rules for the almighty Lord of the universe to dwell with his people. So a purpose of this covenant is to have this fellowship without destroying them. So there's much more that can be gleaned from 19, but... I want to wrap it there and summarize a little bit and, and offer a couple of thoughts that have been important to me in Exodus number, number 19. So first of all, the Lord saves. He saved Israel from bondage. They didn't earn it. In the Old Testament, it's not all about works. We see the same Lord as we see today in many ways. The Lord saved us from the same bondage, except ours was sin rather than the Egyptians. The Lord brought Israel to himself. It wasn't just a, an act of saving. It's an act of love, an act of fellowship. Just the same way the Holy Spirit brings us to himself. The Lord is not compatible with sin. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Our best for him is still filthy rags. And that's seen in Exodus 19, and it's true today. We have the Holy Spirit now interceding for us, but our best is still filthy rags. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. So how are we changed today? July the 4th, 2021, Cary, North Carolina, sitting outside in a beautiful spring-like day in the middle of July. I'm pretty sure that we're not going to see the fire and the thunder of the Lord, but it is July 4th, right? So that would be appropriate. He's the same Lord. His power is the same. He might break out and destroy. I love casual Fridays at the office. In fact, my office is pretty casual all the time. Birkenstocks and shorts. Are we being too casual with the Lord sometimes? As we teach our children, as we study, as we pray? Have we humbled ourselves before the Lord recently? I know that I haven't. So I'm speaking to myself here just as much as anybody else. When I was a little boy, every once in a while, I'd walk down the hallway in our little house, and I would go into the guest room, and my dad would be there praying on his hands and his knees. And when I was young, I would try to tickle him and wrestle him because I thought he wanted to wrestle. He'd say, son, I'm praying. Might be a good practice to consider getting onto our knees. In fact, I'm going to wrap up here in a moment. I'm actually going to pray to the Lord and kneel down and humble myself before him. It looks different for different people, but what does it mean to be humble in front of the Holy Lord who spoke the world into existence? Does it mean to kneel down or does it mean to, to sing songs even though you know you can't sing like me? Does it mean that you try to teach your kids about reverence. It's going to look different for each family. But when you think of Exodus 19, I would encourage you to, to meditate on the power of the holy God and how he is so gracious to come down and meet us and how we should have a right response. So if you want to join me, I'm going to kneel down right now and pray to the Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful place to meet. Thank you for your favor. Lord, help us humble ourselves. It's such a foreign concept to us. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see your glory. Lord, never let us forget what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for Northwest Community Church. Lord, thank you for being the center of our church. Thanks for this time, Lord. Amen.